People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except alone. You know the commandment. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack what sell everything you have to the poor, and you will have treasure in Then come, follow me. But this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the door. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all that to follow you. We tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in sin and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus took the twelve us and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will fall. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. Well, the preseason for the Chiefs is now concluded, which means the 21-22 NFL season is about to start. However, some attention has already been devoted to the April 2022 NFL Draft. Speculators are already mocking up before a single play in either the college or the professional regular season, who will be the early players to be chosen? Any of us who were ever in a group of children with two captains choosing who they preferred on their team Know the angst of being chosen late or chosen last. See, in either a sports draft or playground kickball, many factors figure into the selection. 
But most hinge upon the perception that some individuals will contribute success more than others. In Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, as with today's passage, the blessing of the children and the rich ruler appear together. There must be something important connecting these interactions. I believe that all three of the Synoptic Gospels writers are trying to impress upon us that the kingdom of God is not dependent upon those whom we think are the most likely participants. In other words, God is going to draft someone that we don't think is a top ten draft pick. God is a captain who is going to choose some of us who may be chosen late or last. Being chosen for God's kingdom forces us to reevaluate success. Because those who are first in his kingdom are normally not the ones who are chosen for kickball, given the multi-million dollar sports contract, nor those who win elections. God's kingdom is upside down from the other things in our lives. The first three verses of today's text reveal that we may be overlooking some important participants. Because in God's kingdom, we see that participation in God's kingdom, and he gives us an unlikely example. The unlikely example is that the disciples were undervaluing the infants. Perhaps the disciples had bought into the idea that would later be popularized by the phrase, well, children are to be seen and not heard. Have you heard that? Have you been told that? Perhaps the disciples were buying into that idea. Perhaps the disciples had forgotten that each one of them at one time had been an infant. Perhaps they were overly aware of the infant mortality rates. The infant mortality that was so high at this time in history that citizenship was commonly withheld until a child made it to his bar mitzvah. Any child less than 12 or 13, it was just assumed they may die, so let's not get too excited about them. They undervalued the children because they have too much emphasis upon the adults. I've enjoyed uh, catching a few of the games on the road to the Little League World Series. And a quick Google search revealed to me that over 7,000 teams each year compete to play in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. 
But from these 7,000 teams who each have 10 to 15 players, rarely transfers to excellence as an adult. Only three players in the history of baseball have played in the Little League World Series, the College World Series, and the Major League Baseball World Series. Your homework this week is to identify the three players who were great as children and also great as adults, because I'm not going to tell. See, perhaps the disciples had become victims of a much later book that was written called The Tyranny of the Urgent. We have something to do right now. So we don't have time to wait for these children to develop into usefulness. And sometimes we are so concerned with the urgent, what has to happen right now, the kingdom is about to come, and we need to make sure that we have lots of adults who contribute right now, that we neglect the important. Which is these children, when they grow up, have valuable roles to play in the kingdom. And as a matter of fact, we're about to find out that these children don't only have great value when they grow up, but as a matter of fact, they have great value now. Because Jesus tended to elevate those who were overlooked by the others. Jesus was not looking for what the children would do or what they would contribute to the kingdom eventually. He was impressed by the value that they add right now. Notice the verb tense of the word belongs. These children belong right here, right now to the kingdom. And the kingdom belongs to them. Not will belong, but does belong. In this passage, Jesus promotes the value of children. In other passages, he promotes the value of the lame who are healed, the demoniac who is released, and the women, even those with sordid past, who worshipped him. You may recall that before I became your pastor, which, by the way, was three years ago last weekend, I announced that children are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And I recall that Deb Haglund asked me about the role of seniors. And I wish I had the wisdom to say then what I believe now. Seniors, you are not only the leaders of yesteryear, you are essential contributors to the church today. So whether you think of yourself as a child who's yet to grow into maturity, or you think of yourself as a senior whose productive years are behind you, Jesus elevates your value in his kingdom. Several are now saying that after COVID, we will never go back to what the church had become. Well... I believe that the body of Christ survived the Spanish flu a hundred years ago. And the people of God will carry on until Jesus comes back for his bride. 
So I don't believe this is the end of the church. It may be the end of the church as it had become. Because I also believe that there is room for great advancement if we could exchange the disciples' mindset of, they're too much. They're too much bother. They're too much work. They're too much waiting. If we could exchange that mindset for Jesus' mindset of, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Whether it be the infirmed, the children, the elderly, those with hurts, hang-ups, and habits, If we could adopt Jesus' mindset, to such belongs the kingdom of God, there's great room for advancement in the future of the church. I had a phone conversation with a man about 10 days ago who would like to launch an outreach here in Chase County. The outreach is to build ramps for people who need them. For an example of their work up in Morris County, you can drive past Toots Conley home. Because this organization has put a ramp in front of her home to help her adjust when she's released from the nursing home. But this man from Harrington told me that for many years, the most faithful volunteer he had in the Flint Hills Rebuilders was a well-known alcoholic. The man would not darken a church door. Their work days often started with black coffee. But Carl told me that help is available if we are willing to look in unlikely places. And those that the disciples were willing to ignore, Jesus elevated to prominence. But I also see in verse 17 that Jesus calls them to be childlike, not childish. The pivotal phrase... is like a child. Well, what is it that is demonstrated by a child that we should emulate? Is it the child's focus upon themselves? I don't think so. Is it their untethered way of expressing their desires? I want, I want now! Is that what Jesus is calling us to be? Selfish? Demanding? Is it their stubbornness to try new things? I I was thinking especially new foods. I don't like those. Have you ever tried those? No, but they're different. I don't like those. Is, Is that what Jesus is calling us to be? Afraid to try new things? I don't like those, even though I've never tried them. I believe the the characteristic of a child that is worth our emulating is the way they receive the kingdom. Two of our newest church family happen to be cousins. One turned two yesterday, and the other turned one about a month ago. And at different times, I have offered myself to hold each of these children. Now, don't get any ideas about me staffing the nursery, and you're about to find out why. 
Because neither Bentley nor Caleb would have any part of me holding them when Daddy is close by. See, as Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me, each of these children know their father and will accept no substitute. And I believe that's the characteristic that Jesus is saying we need to have. We need to know Jesus, our Savior. We need to know God, our Father, and accept no substitute. Because if we accept Him as He is, we participate in His kingdom. If we accept God as our loving Father and as the one who will protect and comfort us as His dear child, then we bring value to what it means to surrender to God as part of His kingdom. If I were picking a kickball team, I probably would not choose an infant. If I were gathering an army to overthrow the Romans... I probably would not choose an infant. But if I were looking to exemplify the trust of and the dependence upon another person, I don't know if there's a better choice than a child. And from this example of youthful trust, a certain ruler sees an opportunity to pitch his own contribution to God's kingdom. After all, he had done that since he was a child. And the wealth that he had accumulated was proof that God liked him. God's blessing was upon him because he was rich. But he's about to learn of the barriers to God's kingdom. One of the barriers to to experiencing God's kingdom is man's idols. The things that we put before God. I believe this man here is actually attempting to leverage something for his own benefit. In Matthew's account of this exchange, at this point, Matthew refers to him as a young man. But both Mark and Luke do not call him a young man, but they say, I've done this from my youth. I think this man is referring to his own youthfulness as an attempt for him to leverage what Jesus just said about children. Jesus says, the kingdom belongs to children, and this man says, I have been a part of your kingdom ever since I was a child, I tried to peek into the mind of this ruler, and I can almost see him thinking, the kingdom belongs to children, and I've followed the rules since I was a child, and now I have all this evidence that God is blessing my life. So Jesus, you can go ahead and declare my prominent standing in your kingdom. But even though his words appear to be a humble inquiry, Tell me what I must do. I see this as a passive-aggressive way of announcing, Jesus, I'm ready to take my place in your kingdom now. After all, I've done all of this since I was a child. 
But Jesus is about to take the puff out of his chest. Take the wind out of his sails. Let the air out of his balloon. As this man says, I'm ready to take my leadership, I can almost hear Jesus saying, Well, they have a bankrupt guy oh. too. There's something about that slow whistle <laughs> that we know exactly what it means. What I used to have, I don't have anymore. Jesus gives this man a command to sell and to give to the poor. That's never a command that is given to everyone. It is the one thing that stood between this man's current condition and the invitation to come, follow me. The only thing between where he was and follow me was, you've got to sell what you have and give it away to the poor. I've been slowly working through the book, The Call. Subtitle is Finding and Fulfilling God's Purpose for Your Life by Dr. Oz Guinness. And he concludes each chapter of this book by writing, Listen to the commanding invitation of Jesus that is both a call and a charge. Follow me. And Jesus gives this rich ruler a charge. Follow me. But before you can follow me, you've got to deal with the one thing. Jesus lists Commandments 6 through 10. So the man thinks he's in good standing. Then Jesus says, the one thing between you and the kingdom is commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Your one thing may not be money. What is the one thing that stands between you and full obedience to God? You may be holding on to bitterness from a mistreatment of your past. You may be enslaved by your career or your reputation. You may have given too much importance to your kids' activities or to your own hobbies. I don't know. But you know what it is. You know the one thing that stands between where you are and come follow me. Then Jesus says there's a way to dethrone that one thing. There is a way to dethrone those priorities that get in the way of following him. First, we have to identify your one thing. And shattering that one thing in your life is a work of God's grace. When we surrender permission for Him to act, what is impossible in our own strength becomes possible for God. In verse 27. Your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups can all be redeemed for God's glory. Many of you saw the nets and the inflatable bunkers that were set up south of the gym last weekend. What you probably don't know is that the weekend started with a testimony about idolatry. 
a young man told the youth that paintball was once his one thing. Paintball was once his obsession, an idol in his life. And he still enjoys the activity, but by surrendering it to God, God has replaced that obsession with another. And now paintballing is no longer an idol. But it is now a tool that can be used to begin relationships with young people, to tell them about God's ability to replace their idols. Well, after two stories, first one, keeping others out of the kingdom. Secondly, what keeps us out of the kingdom. Jesus, in the final verses of today's text, reveals the one true way into the kingdom. For Jesus tells us that there is a provision of God's kingdom. And the provision of God's kingdom is found in Christ's passion. His passion being his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Verse 31 tells us that this event, the Christ event, is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Because it was prophesied in all three of the main sections of the Hebrew Scriptures. In the Torah, the law... We can go all the way back to Genesis 3 when God himself prophesied of the bruising of a heel, yet the crushing of a head. The Christ event was prophesied in the Torah. During the prophets, the second main section of the Hebrew scriptures, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is the most explicit prophecy of this week in Christ's life. How can we read Isaiah 53 and not think of the Christ event? And the third main section of the Hebrew scriptures was the writings, including the 22nd Psalm, which was quoted by Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the rest of that psalm says, he was not forsaken. God was working a greater purpose. And this was but one step in the greater purpose that is revealed at the end of the 22nd psalm. And I believe when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was trying to evoke this psalm to say, God is working a plan. God is working a purpose. Don't give up. Not only was this a prophesied experience, but it was a, a conspiracy of all humanity. Verse 32 says that he would be delivered to the Gentiles, but who delivered him? He was delivered by the Jews to the Gentiles. And at this time, there were two categories of people. You were either Jew or you were Gentile. So Jesus says, all of humanity has a role to play in this event that is about to happen. He would be delivered by the social and religious establishment. He would be delivered to the government. 
he would be repeatedly disrespected, both verbally and physically. But both his crucifixion and the resurrection, in verse 33, are all part of God's plan from before the foundations of the earth. Jesus knew that the outcome of submitting to the Pharisees' scheme would be death. Jesus also knew that submitting to the Father's will would be resurrection. And Jesus says, I I realize what I'm telling you right now is challenging your preconceived notions. As Jesus was talking to his people, he says, you, you, you think you know what's going to happen, and you've got ideas about what's going to happen, but Jesus says, um, it's not going to happen the way you think it is. And Jesus had to change and challenge their preconceived notions, and we must also hold our ideas, our wonderings, our preconceived notion to say, Maybe he's going to change what I think is going to happen. See, educators refer to a phenomenon called confirmation bias. Britannica defines confirmation bias as the tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with one's existing beliefs. In other words, we hear that which supports the things that we've already decided. But the word word understood in verse 34, that word understood carries the idea of to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. They didn't understand the Christ event. They didn't understand the kingdom that he was bringing because they were locked into their preconceived ideas. I wonder what are your preconceived ideas this morning? For us to understand today's sermon... We must submit our preconceived notions to the truth of Jesus' words. When we truly understand, it doesn't only change our thinking, but it also changes our practice. Maybe Jesus is telling us today that unlikely participant, that child, that person who has been hesitant to receive the gospel... Maybe Jesus is saying, that person is right on the cusp of entering my kingdom. Our practice needs to include proclaiming the gospel in simple ways. Ways that are so simple that children can understand. And we must proclaim this simple gospel to those that we think are unlikely or undeserving. And secondly, our practice needs to repeatedly examine our own priorities for the things that we exalt above obedience to Christ. 
Number one, we need to proclaim the gospel simply to everyone, even if we think they are unlikely. Number two, you've got to ask yourself, what is that one thing that stands between me and obedience? And this practice of examining ourselves and confessing or repenting of our idols is exactly what the apostles required before participation in the Lord's Supper which is what we're going to do right now. So I would like to provide a time for you to examine your heart for that one thing, the one thing that needs to be confessed, that one thing that you need to ask his forgiveness. If you did not receive the bread and the wine as you came through, if you would kindly raise your hand, uh, two of our elders, uh, Bruce and Troy, are available, and they will bring the elements to you. And after everyone is served, then we will partake